All right, so we are in Numbers chapter 13, and before we uh, go look at some of the scriptures in there, I want to read one verse to you from Jude chapter 1, verse 5. It says, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And I believe that verse right there, a verse that's talking about false prophets and showing how God is going to judge them, one of the proofs that they give that God's going to judge false prophets is the fact that God wiped out an entire generation of people for not believing him. And that's what we're reading about here in Numbers chapter 13 and 14. We're looking at several verses in here. This right here, while Israel committed a lot of great sins, one that is very notable, that is mentioned a lot, one that made God very angry, one that got a whole generation cursed and wiped out, was the, simply the sin of unbelief. I mean, it, right there in Jude 1.5, those that believe not, God destroyed them in the wilderness. And this particular sin of unbelief, it was a major sin. And you know what? Unbelief is always a major sin when it comes to God. We believe that a person uh, gets saved just by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the end of the day, what's, the sin that's going to cause people to go to hell is unbelief. Because did you know there's a lot of people who have murdered that are going to go to heaven. You know why? Because the blood of Christ cleanses from that sin. They've committed adultery. They've stolen. I mean, there's not a sin out there that you can name that there's probably not somebody who's done that and yet is still going to go to heaven. You know why? Because they are, it's all under the blood. All those things can be cleansed, forgiven, and we receive that cleansing and that forgiveness when we call on the Lord for salvation, when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so at the end of the day, when people stand before God in heaven one day, they're not going to be cast into hell because of so much a, a particular sin or violating one of the Ten Commandments because every one of the Ten Commandments, there will be people in heaven who have broken those. It's going to be those who did not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. They're going to go to hell. And it, I think it's important that we understand why it's such a big deal because often people think, well, it's not that big of a deal, but it is a really big deal to not believe God. And we see a story here and I think there's a lot of comparisons that we can draw from it in our own life where these people did not believe God and they had no reason for unbelief. So let's look at a few scriptures uh, starting in Numbers chapter 13. Uh, let's start reading in verse uh, 25. And it says, And they returned from searching the land after 40 days, and they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel under the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought back word unto them, and unto all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We came into the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Turns out this land that you sent us into, it actually turns out to be just like God said. That's interesting that they brought that up. And then it says, Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. And the Amalekites dwelt dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. Now let me tell you something. I think that that was true, that they were stronger than them, but their God was not stronger than their God. That was something that they left out there. Yes, the you know children of Anak are stronger than the children of Israel, but their gods do not compare. No doubt about that. And it says, and they brought up an evil report 
of the land when they had, which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. And so right there, the chapter ends, but let's keep reading in chapter 14. So after they say all these things, listen to the, the reaction of the congregation. It says, And the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said one to another, Let us make a captain, and let us return into Egypt. And Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them, searched the land, rent their clothes, and they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which he passed through to search it, it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land, and give it us a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. Nothing has changed. Notice when you have two guys that actually give a different opinion, the reaction is stone them, kill them, get rid of the opposition. It's the way the wicked always are. And, and Joshua and Caleb were right. These were the only guys that had any faith. And you know what? They were the only guys that got to go into the promised land. That was it. Everyone else that was over 20, all of them died in the wilderness because of this great sin. This was something that angered God greatly. And so it says in verse 11, And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me for all the signs which I have showed unto them? I will smite them with the pestilence and disinherit them and will make of thee a greater nation and mightier than they. And then Moses, he goes on and he intercedes for them and God doesn't kill them all right then. But look at verse 20. And it says, And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word, but as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times, and have not hearkened to my voice, surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. And he gave the exceptions of Caleb and Joshua. And jump down to verse 28, and it says, Say, say unto them, As truly as I live, saith the Lord, as ye have spoken to mine ears, so will I do to you. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, and all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number, from twenty years old and upward, which have murmured against me. Doubtless ye shall not come into the land, concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein, save Caleb the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua the son of Nun. But your little ones, which ye said should be a prey, them will I bring in, and they shall know the land which ye have despised. So they were, they tried to act like, hey, we're just thinking about our families here when they were making their excuses and say, we don't want them to be a prey. Therefore, we're not going to believe God. We're not going to do what God said to do. And God said, you know what? I'll show you. You're all going to die, and but they're going to go in because you're not the one taking care of your little ones. I'm the one taking care of your little ones. And God, and you know, and it was mentioned in there. We can go on and on. I mean, we just see how, 
God, this angered God greatly. God brought up all the signs that he had done for him. I mean, think about this. God had brought the ten plagues upon Egypt. This was not long, just shortly before. God literally parted the Red Sea so they could walk across. God has been doing miracle after miracle. And then all of a sudden, what do they do? They find themselves up against a, a city with big walls and a big army. But that should seem like nothing at this point. But yet it wasn't enough for these people. They threw a major fit. And we see in this passage how God feels about unbelief. Israel's lack of faith in God was a major sin, especially when you consider what God had done. And, you know, you could say, you could make an argument, well, it took a lot of faith to leave Egypt and to go, you know, through this, you know, wander in the wilderness and all this kind of stuff. But it didn't really take that much faith when you consider all God had done. None of us have ever seen anything like that. Abraham had never seen anything like that. When God told Abraham, their father, to go into a strange land, you know what he did? He just went. God hadn't done any miracles yet. God hadn't given him Isaac yet. God hadn't done any of these things for Abraham. Yet when God told Abraham to do something, Abraham's like, okay, I'll go do it. These, but these children, they were not like Abraham. And you know what? They weren't children of Abraham, spiritually speaking. Physically, they were. Spiritually, they were not because these people, they didn't just have little faith. They had no faith. Look what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 15. This is a prophetic passage here. But it says, but Jeshurun waxed fat and kicked, thou art waxen fat, thou art grown thick, thou art covered with fatness. Then he forsook God which made him and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. They provoked him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations provoked they him to anger. They sacrificed unto devils, not to God, to gods which they knew not, to new gods that came newly up, whom your fathers feared not. Of the rock that begat thee, thou art unmindful and hast forgotten God that formed thee. And when the Lord saw it, he abhorred them because of the provoking of his sons and of his daughters. Well, God would never hate anybody. Well, he abhorred them. That's a pretty strong word right there. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be, for they are a froward generation, children in whom is no faith. No faith. Folks, we believe salvation is by grace through faith. And when you don't have faith, that's your problem. And you know what? That angers God because there is no reason for us to not have any faith. But Israel's problem, the reason they didn't have any faith, it wasn't because God didn't do anything for them. It's because God did more for them than he had ever done for any generation. But the problem was they were children that had no faith. And you know, the Bible is crystal clear. It is so clear that salvation comes from simply believing on Christ that it forces heretics to just do major mental gymnastics to try to get around this concept. Because it, it, it just, it can't be spelled out any clearer. I mean, it, it's frustrating. It's like people, too, who can't figure out if we really do have the right to free speech in this country and right to keep bare arms. It's like, could the Constitution be any clearer? I mean, it's not like we, you know, it doesn't just say the right to keep bare arms shall not be infringed upon. It's like, isn't that clear enough? But in the, you know, not, not for wicked people. And when it comes to salvation, isn't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved clear enough? Not for wicked people. Not for wicked people who have an agenda and want to promote a works-based salvation. That's not clear enough for them. John 3.16 isn't clear enough for them. You know why? Because they just don't like what it says. They're just rebellious. That's all there is to it. 
And so they, they do, they, they reject these things. And so, uh, you know, one thing that many people do who are just heretics and believe works-based salvation is they try to make even believing a work. Because you have, like, people that always want to go to different extremes. And so you, do, you take something just so simple, like the gospel, and to see the things that people do. So look at John chapter 6, all right, verse 29. Because a lot of people, they'll go as far as to try to make belief a work. And they'll go to John 6, 29. It says, Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. Now, this is what the Calvinists like to get a hold of this and then teach how, see, you know, believing it's a work, but it's a work of God. If you believe, it's because God made you believe. God did that work. If you have faith, it's because God gave you that faith. And God, and if somebody doesn't believe, it's because God didn't give them the faith. God didn't give them that belief. And here, you know, and and let me just kind of jump on a hobby horse of mine. And I've talked about this before, but here's what you got to understand about this. I do, there's a lot of scriptures you can show that talks about, that, you know, gives evidence that God gives us faith and things like that. And that the word of, you know, salvation, it is a work of God, that it is a work of the Holy Ghost. But here's here's the thing. When you emphasize those things, making it like people don't have a choice, you're missing the point of these things. Because here's. Nobody gets saved without this Holy Spirit. Nobody gets saved without the Word of God. Yes, the, the salvation is a work of God. For one, Jesus did all the work on Calvary, didn't he? Okay? The Holy Spirit drew us to salvation. It's the Word of God that teaches us how to be saved. It's the Holy Spirit that works through the soul winner that brings us the gospel. And that's why I think these arguments, these straw man arguments that people go into that I think are just dumb arguments about, you know, what all it takes for somebody to get saved. And, you know, know, is it the King James Bible? Do you have to have a soul winner? All that stuff. Listen, nobody gets saved without the scriptures. Nobody gets saved without somebody showing them. If you have a Bible, it's because somebody gave you that Bible. It's because somebody printed that Bible. Somebody printed that Bible because somebody wrote down that Bible. Somebody pinned the words in those pages, okay? Nobody just gets saved on their own. I don't think anybody in the world thinks that, okay? There is a lot of people, there's a lot of things involved, and nobody can say that God is not all over anyone's salvation. God was all over it, okay? The very fact that the Word of God was there, the Holy Spirit was involved, I don't want to get sidetracked too much on all that, but then what people do, they go to these extremes and they make it like, you know, salvation is something that God just chooses for you. Even though there's verses that clearly deny that and teach that you can reject salvation. Because, you know, so they will, they'll say that God saves you and God, or that God gives you that faith. God gives you that belief. But here's the question I have. How can I be held accountable for something I'm not capable of doing? No, if it's God that gives belief, why did God get so mad at Israel when they didn't believe? Maybe it's because God gave them everything they needed to believe. Didn't God give them plenty of evidence of his power and might? It looks like he did. So on one hand, yes, I give what you're saying, Calvinists. Yes, God did do all that, but it's also clear that the Jews chose to reject it. And it made God mad. It made him very angry. And so let's go back to John. Let's look at John 6 a little more, too. Because what's that talking about when it says, this is the work of God that you believe on him? And they'll use this to show that believing is a work. 
And therefore, though, yeah, I get it. You people teach you have to believe on Christ, but that, you know, that's a work believing. You're, you're giving yourself all the glory for your salvation because you believe. Us Calvinists, we are even more extreme. We just believe that God saved you, whether you didn't, you, know, you didn't do anything. If you believe, it's because God put it in you. But let's see what this passage is actually talking about. Let's look at some context. Look at verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. In the previous chapter, Jesus fed the multitude with five loaves and two fish. So Jesus, he's trying to get to the heart of these people, and he's telling them, here's why you're following me. You're following me because you like the food. Okay? You know why some people come to church? is because they like the potlucks. Yeah, I'm glad you like the potlucks, but you ought to like the food that you're getting from the pulpit and from the Word of God more than you like the food that you get in there. Okay? Hopefully we serve better food in here than we do in there. But, and there's some people that are so carnal, and we've had them before. They come. They'll, I mean, I've had them ask me, hey, when's your next fellowship, Pastor? They want to come for the food. And sometimes I don't tell them. But sometimes I do. But verse 27 says, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, from him hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? So here's the question. What do I need to do to work the works of God? Now, wouldn't it make sense that if they're asking what work we need to do to work the work of God, that they're talking about that the answer is going to be, well, here's the work. Right? Would that make sense? So it says in verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. So that proves believing is a work, right? Well, then it says, They said therefore unto him, What signs showest thou then, that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? So in order to understand the answer, we have to understand the question, Okay. Because Jesus makes it very clear, these people who came to Jesus, they were not looking for salvation. They were looking for bread, physical bread. They were looking for food. Okay, When they were asking what they needed to do so they could work the works of God, you know what they were saying? They were saying, what do we have to do so we can make bread appear? That's what they were saying. Okay, The works of God in their mind was the bread that they ate, the physical bread. So when they come to Jesus and they say, what do we have to do so we can work the works of God? They're not asking how to get saved. They're asking, how can we get bread? That's what they were asking. And so, the, but the work that God wanted them to do was not to produce bread, but to believe on him. This is, this is, what, this is what Jesus came for. This is what he came to do to get people to believe on him and to trust in him. That was that was the work of God. That was what God wanted to do. And so they thought that the work God wanted them to do was make bread. But the truth is, what that is what they wanted. Okay, They're asking, how can we get what we want? But the work that God wanted to accomplish was to produce a people of faith that would believe in him. That was why Jesus was here. And I think a good way I want to illustrate this, suppose my wife for her birthday, she really wanted a, like a new necklace, or I actually got her a, a mother ring that's got like a birthstone for all the kids. And uh, and so let's say that was what she wanted. But instead of giving her this ring that she really wanted, I bought her a blender. Okay? I did that for Christmas one time. It didn't go over real well. 
But, you know, and, and I, let's say I bought her that blender because I want her to make me milkshakes or smoothies or something like that. And it's like, you know, her will was to get that ring or a necklace, a symbol of love. But I wanted to get her the blender so I could benefit from it. Okay. And so I buy her the blender. She gets mad at me. I try to convince her it was all for her so she would have less work to do. Kind of like these people when they come to Jesus. Hey, all right, you're getting tired of us following you around. What do we have to do to do the works of God? In other words, make bread so we don't need you anymore. We're going to help you out. All right, give us that power to make the bread. And so this is basically what the Jews were doing. They thought the work of God was feeding their faces. That's what they thought it was. But God wanted a people of faith who believed on him. And so once these people realized they weren't getting any bread, you know what? They went home. Because they weren't interested in God's will. They were interested in their own will. And you know what? Some people, they do, they, they emphasize the belief so much too. Sometimes they'll go as far as acting like even prayer is a work. Even just calling on the Lord is a work. It's amazing just the ditches people go into when they go to extremes. You know, they'll go to verses like Acts 16, 30. And they, you know, they brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I don't see any prayer in there. Well, you know, it's kind of a prayer when you're going and you're saying, hey, what do I got to do to be saved? That sounds kind of like asking for salvation, doesn't it? Yeah, he didn't know how to ask. He didn't know how to say. He didn't have a sinner's prayer memorized. But, you know, when I see people like the thief on the cross, Lord, remember me when thou goest into thy kingdom. That sounds kind of like a prayer to me, doesn't it? Isn't praying asking? Well, that wasn't much of a prayer. But you know what? It was from the heart. It was from the heart and Jesus heard it. And that man was saved. We have the one man that prayed. He just said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. No, he, he didn't know exactly what to say. You know, John or Romans 4, 3, for what saith the scripture, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. And, you know, John three sixteen, for whosoever believeth. And so they will emphasize belief to the point that if you think somebody needs to pray or ask that you're not trusting in Christ alone. But here... Here's what we've got to understand about believing. Believing is not always just doing something in your head. Because y'all understand believing is kind of doing something in your head. I mean, you do have to, in your mind, believe, right? Isn't that doing something? So, you know, are we going to go with the Calvinists? Or are we going to go with the non-prayer people? It, isn't it weird how people just love to twist just the most simple, basic things and just go to extremes and try to cause division? And so, you know, when the... because when the children of Israel failed to go in the promised land, the Bible says it was because of their unbelief. They were supposed to do something. You know what they were supposed to do? They were supposed to go into the promised land. They were supposed to go and fight the children of Anak. They were supposed to go and possess those cities. Those are all things that you're supposed to do. But the reason they didn't do those things is because they didn't believe God. It was unbelief ultimately was the problem. And sometimes when you believe there is stuff that you have to do. And for example, in Hebrews chapter 11, over and over again, we see people who believe God. And you know what they did? They did stuff. Abraham went to that land that God promised him to go into. And so what we've got to understand is there is a difference between just following the works of the law and doing what God said to do. Because whenever the Bible is talking about how salvation is not of works, it's referring to the works of the law. So I don't have to sacrifice a lamb. I don't have to, you know, live this perfect holy life. I don't have to follow all these customs in order to be saved. It's referring to the works of the law. And people, they just get so weird with these things. 
They'll even try to turn something like just believing, just something like relying on Jesus Christ, something like asking him for salvation. They try to make all those things out to be works. And that's just dumb. That's just fool. That's just foolishness because believing on Christ is doing something. It is. It does. I mean, it is. It's it's not just doing something. It's also ceasing from doing something. For, so in other words, if you are trying to work your way to heaven, you know what? You need to stop doing that. And you know what you need to do? You need to rely on Christ. You need to trust him. Sometimes it means quitting doing some stuff. And you relying on him, that is doing something. You calling on the Lord for salvation, you know what that is? Yeah, calling is doing something. Praying is doing something. But you're doing that because you believe him. He said, if I'll ask, he'll save me. He says, him that, he that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. So all of those things require some kind of action. But what do we do? We twist them and we make them like those things are now works of the law. And just... We go off into these weird places, and that's wrong too. And so I think, though, to help drive this point home and help us understand believing, I think it's important that we understand why unbelief is so bad. And just real quickly, I just want, I want to point out things, why unbelief is so bad, especially when it comes to salvation. Because another thing we got to understand too, you know, the children of Israel not believing God in numbers, it wasn't necessarily... You know, that's not necessarily why they went to hell. They were believing on God so they could go into the promised land. Okay? That was what that was for. It's not always about salvation in the Bible. But when we're specifically talking about salvation, I want us to talk about why unbelief, just real quickly, is so bad. And why it is such a big deal. So go ahead and turn over to Romans chapter 3 and verse, and verse 23. Romans 3. And verse 23, why is it that big of a deal? Well, it says in Romans 3, 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remissions of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. You know why unbelief is so bad? Because people who will not believe on Christ for salvation... They fail to believe they are rejecting that the cross was enough. That's why that's a big deal. Folks, to deny the cross, to deny the blood atonement is a big deal. I mean, think about the fact that Jesus Christ, he lived a perfect and sinless life for 33 years. He went, he died a horrible death on the cross where he is literally our substitute. Where Jesus Christ in his holy body he who knew no sin became sin for us. This is what God sent him to do. And then when we have this idea, well, believing's not enough, you got to do some kind of work too. You got to keep this law. You can't do this sin. You know what we're doing? We are rejecting what Jesus Christ did on the cross. You think God's going to be okay with that? When you consider what his son had to do and God is just going to let you get away with acting like that's not enough, despising the cross? That right there is a very wicked attitude. And it notice it says that what we're doing, we are declaring his righteousness. That's what we do. We don't declare our righteousness. We don't talk about how we repented of our sins. We talk about how Jesus did no sin. We talk about how he went to the cross. And then it says in verse 26, 
to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. He's the justifier. My changed life is not what justifies me to God. It might justify me to men, but not to God. He is the justifier of them that believe. Where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. So the reason unbelief is so bad, and when I say unbelief, I'm saying those who deny or the idea that it is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and now it shall be saved. Those who add any works to salvation, they literally are rejecting what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Now, they can give all the lip service they want. They'll talk about, I believe Jesus died on the cross. Yeah, I believe he died on the cross for me. They have to say those things because there's no way around that. But what they do, they add their leaven in there. They add their works in there in some place, in some way, shape, or form. And when they do that, they do that because in their mind, there's no way God's going to let me into heaven just by trusting in him. I got to do some stuff first. I've got to change my life first. I got to live up to a certain standard. I mean, for crying out loud, I at least have to get baptized. You know what? And that's where a lot of people are in their minds. In their minds, no, there's, there's no way. It can't be that easy. And folks, you know that is the attitude of many people out there. We talk to these people every week when we're out soul winning. They hear what you're saying. They know about the cross, but there's got to be some works too. And Romans 3 makes it very clear that that is, that is a denial of that cross. That's failing to believe that the cross was enough. But folks, the cross was enough. Also, another thing it's doing, they're failing to acknowledge just how sinful that they really are. We see in this passage... How it says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Do you believe that or do you not believe that? We all come short of the glory of God. It says being justified freely by his grace is completely free. All these things, it's all, Jesus, it's all glory goes to him. But where people go wrong is, you know what? They just don't believe their sin is that bad. That's, that's unbelief too. If we actually believed the Bible, then we would realize, hey, these sins are a big deal. And that's why we need to preach on sin. That's why we need to talk about the Old Testament. That's why we need to still call these things out as being bad. And it's amazing how, you know, Pastor Twinkletoes is always out there talking all friendly and nice and talking about grace. And he doesn't want to talk about any sin. That's all in the past. That's all in the Old Testament. But folks, we've got to understand right now in our our condition we're in right now, we are sinful, we are unholy, we are unclean, and we are completely dependent on just a forgiving Savior. We are completely uh, dependent on that blood atonement of Jesus Christ to cleanse us from all those sins. And you know what? People aren't getting it today. You know what? Because they're not hearing sin preached about. And you know, cause, and a lot of preachers are getting scared to preach against sin because they're afraid they're going to get called a legalist. But folks, we have to talk about sin. We have to talk about how bad things are. We have to talk about how bad, you know, murders and fornications and adultery and all these things. We have to talk about how bad things are. We have to talk about how bad dishonesty is because when we do that, a person who has any honesty whatsoever, they're going to see themselves and be like, man, I don't deserve to be in heaven at all. And you know what? Well, then that's when we get our opportunity to point them to Jesus Christ. 
and show them, hey, his blood, it cleanses all that sin. All you have to do is believe on him. But you know what? That message, it loses its power as soon as we add in things like, but also you have to repent of your sins too. Hey, I know you've been you know, living for 40 years now and you've been living sin. You've, never, you've tried all these things to conquer and get control of it and it's never worked. But you know what? Now, if you get saved, you will be able to turn from all these things. And people, are like they've tried it 40 times. Every year when they go to the camp meeting, they, re- they repent of all their sins again. Only to find themselves still trapped in the same flesh. And you know what? If they got some good doctrine, if they had some real good Bible preaching in some of these camp meetings, some of these people would figure out that, you know what? We're still sinful. The preacher telling me to repent of my sins hasn't even repented of all his sins. And what I just need to do is I need to rely on the righteousness of Christ. But man, none of us, you know, we, we have a tough time imagining God letting somebody who doesn't go to church go into heaven. Well, if we have lowered God's standard if, if we, to just go into church. But you all realize God's standard is much higher than that. We're not, even, we're not only supposed to be doing all these things that we do, we're supposed to be doing them with a good attitude. We're supposed to be doing them with a perfect heart. The problem is, all these preachers that teach repentance of sins for salvation, they have all lowered God's standard to a, an embarrassing level. And you know why? It's because they just, I don't believe he's going to let me into heaven unless I do something. Well, your problem is you don't believe God and you don't realize just how bad your sins are. And I don't care. You know, Please repent of your sins the best you can. Please try to do something for God, but you need to understand on your best day, what you bring to God for, for an offering is still unacceptable to a holy and a righteous God. The only thing that we should claim is the blood of Jesus Christ. And so this problem that people have, it is, this is a problem of unbelief. That's all there is to it. They, they just don't believe it. I don't believe that somebody who never goes to church is really truly saved and they're going to go to heaven. I don't believe in a salvation that'll get you out of hell and won't even get you into the church house. That's right, you don't believe. You know what you are? You're an unbeliever. And God's going to destroy you. Numbers 13 and 14 is proof of that. Jude 1 is proof of that. You're going to be destroyed too. And you know what? You better believe on Christ. And the last thing too, we see, is they're refusing to commit their souls to Christ. They're they're entrusting the security of them in themselves is what they're really doing. They're trusting in themselves. Look what it says in Jude 1 and verse 24. Jude verse 24. It says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion, power both now and forever. Amen. You know what? Those of us who have actually believed on Christ for salvation, one of these days, he's going to present us to God. We're going to be presented as holy. But you know what? It's him that's doing that. And you know how that's going to be done? You know how we're going to get presented holy? It's not going to be by us cleaning up our act. You know what it's going to be from? It's going to be when Christ changes our vile body into one like his body. That's going to happen at the moment we see him at his return. We are going to see him. We're going to look on him. He is going to change us in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. He's going to, uh, we were, we're going to be 
uh, you know, born or uh, resurrected spiritually. If you're, those who are dead are going to be raised from the dead, and they are going to be like him, and we will be holy. We will be changed. We will be like him. Guess who's doing all that work? Jesus Christ is doing all that work. And after he does that work with us, you know what? He's going to present us to God holy and blameless. But you know what you got a lot of people today? They act like God's already done that work. Really? Do you really, are you really ready to be presented to God? Do we really think that we have done better than the Jews have done and the Pharisees have done? Remember in Malachi, how it was prophesied that, you know, Elias was going to come and that uh, he was going to be like, and there was, uh, the Messiah was going to come. He's going to be like a refiner's fire and a fuller soap. He was going to purify the sons of Levi. They were going to, you know, give a presentable offering. But you know what? They weren't able to do it. God wasn't going to accept an offering that they would bring. The only offering God would accept was the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ had to do the work of the high priest all by himself because man couldn't do it. Yet we have this idea that just because we go to church now, we wear a suit and a tie, we quit smoking and drinking and a few other things, we think that we're like ready to be presented to God. You know, we're all like, you know, I'm all ready to go right now. And listen, and you hear all the preaching too about, you know, you better get your heart right. Rapture is going to come before the service is over. And, you know, and, and I get that. Right? I, I, I get that. Okay. I'm not saying that's all wrong. But at the end of the day, what is it ultimately that prepares us for the coming of Christ? It's that we are trusting in his righteousness and his cleansing. It's our faith in him. And obviously, I don't want to go do a whole bunch of bad stuff right before the Lord comes back. But, you know, me just going and doing a few good outward things isn't going to necessarily make me that much better. You know what's going to prepare us and what makes us ready? It's faith in him. And I'm thankful that I know no matter what, when Jesus Christ returns, he will change me. He will make me like him. And I will be in heaven. And I will not be rejected. When I am presented before God, I will be accepted because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And so I'm able to look forward to the coming of Christ. I'm excited about the coming of Christ. And so refusing that re- people though, they're just refusing to just commit their souls in the hands of Christ. No, I, right, I, right, Lord, I give myself to you, but I'm going to hang on. I'm going to help you hang on to me. That's not believing on Christ. That's not believing and trusting him. And we, we see many examples in the Bible, we saw a while back a preached on, I forgot what battle it was, where they went and they were told not to do anything but just basically play some music. I was all, you know, when they finally did go to Jericho, they weren't told to fight. They were just told to march around the city and then start yelling at the right time and blasting trumpets. Same thing, too, with, uh, you know, when Gideon fought that battle. Sometimes they would do a lot. Sometimes they would do very little. The important thing was that they just believed God and did whatever he said to do. And you know what God has told us to do to be saved? He's told us to believe on him. He's told us to trust in him. When you add anything to do that, to do to that, you're doing that based on unbelief. You don't believe God. And when you don't believe God, when it comes to salvation, after he sent his son to this earth, was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, and died on the cross, when you can read that and think, that somehow you're going to earn some of that salvation, you just don't believe God. When you read the Old Testament and you see what is required for holiness and somehow think 
that you're able to do that? You know, you just don't believe God. That's all there is to it. This is unbelief. And unbelief, after all God's done, is a major sin. The very fact that we have the perfectly preserved Word of God still, after all these years, is a miracle all by itself. This is a miracle that we have seen. This is something that we have. This is proof right here that we have. And then when you are just going to take that and ignore it, you're that's so bad, that is so wicked. And you know what? God is angry at you, and you will be thrown into hell, just like God destroyed that generation in the wilderness. You know why? Because they didn't believe him. And we've mainly been talking about the sin of unbelief for salvation. But you know what? As Christians, there's still a lot of other things we can just not believe God for. When we don't believe he's going to provide for us, when we just don't believe his ways are best, when we just go and we sin and we do things that the Bible clearly forbids just because we think we know better. And, you know, that right there is unbelief too. And you know what? When you don't believe God, even as a saved person, you'll be judged on this earth. Thankfully, our salvation is secure, but even on this earth, you're going to be in trouble. And so all these things we're talking about, these are not believing. It is, it is a major, major sin that I think a lot of people just can't get a hold of. And it's because they're way too lifted up with pride. And so what is the gospel? And what is the gospel? And you know, well, you could say the Old Testament is the bad news because it condemns all of us, doesn't it? If it's just the Old Testament... We are all in trouble. If it's just the Old Testament, we should all be waiting for the Lord to come and smite the earth with a curse, like he mentioned in Malachi chapter 4. But then, we have, thankfully, though, we have the New Testament, which is good news because it gives us hope because it teaches that Jesus did it all for us. All those things in the Old Testament that curses us and condemns us, Jesus Christ took care of all that. those things. So when it comes to our salvation... We've not been told we have to sacrifice animals or achieve some moral standard. We've just been told basically look and lit is what we've been told. We've been told to look at Jesus on the cross. We've been told to see our sin being carried by Jesus on the cross. And we have been told to acknowledge that sin and declare his righteousness instead of our own. And we're able to do that simply by believing, simply by asking for that free gift, knowing he will not refuse us. The reason most of you in here will not ask me for a million dollars is because you know I haven't got it to give, and even if I did, I probably wouldn't give it to you. So you're not going to ask. You know why? Because you don't believe I'll do it. But you know, the truth is, God has offered salvation. You know why a lot of people won't ask for it? Because they don't believe he'll give it for free. That's all there is to it. They, they, don't, they just don't believe him. Or they don't believe he's able to do that. Ah, he can't just save me without me doing X, Y, and Z. Yeah, actually he can't. He said he would. And if you believed him, you do that. The Bible says in John six thirty seven, and the Father giveth me, all, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. And so coming to him with nothing in our hands to bring is not a work. That's just that's just foolishness. Us coming to him is us acknowledging that he's the only one that can save us. That's why it says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So you know, don't fall for these weird things that people come up with that just don't make sense, that are really just playing on words to deceive. So if you call on the Lord believing in your heart, you know, your call wasn't adding to belief. Okay? That was just something you did because you believed God. And 
people, they, it, it's just, I'm, I, I'm ne- it never ceases to amaze me the weird things people do with scriptures and just things that don't even make sense to just try to go against crystal clear passages. And you know the problem they have is heretics okay, and liars. It's This Bible is a problem when it comes to salvation because it's just way too clear. It's way too easy. And you know why we like going soul-winning so much is because salvation is so simple and it's so easy. In our minds, this is us, if people will just listen to us, they would probably get saved. That, that, I mean, that's how we really feel. Most people, if they would just give us a chance, they would probably be saved. Now, some people do, and they still don't. But if, if people are really honest and sincere, if they would just hear us out on this, it's, it's really that, that easy because you don't, all you have to do is believe. And when they don't do it, when, when God, the God who sent his son to die on a cross to pay for their sins, the God who through many people, through many years, has miraculously preserved his word, when God through his Holy Spirit, he sends messengers to their house to give them the gospel and then they reject it. After all that, folks, that's a big deal. That's a really big deal. And this, this thing, that, this sin of unbelief, it condemns them. And at the end of the day, that's why they're going to go to hell. They're going to go to hell because of unbelief. And you know what? Those of us who are saved, great, we're saved. But you know what? Let's not struggle with unbelief too on other things. If we believe Jesus can save us, we should believe he can take care of any of our other problems. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word. I pray that this message was clear and helpful. I pray you'll help us as, uh, as saved people, Lord, to not struggle uh, with unbelief in other areas. Help us whenever we are maybe having doubts just to remember how you saved us, to uh, help us to have that faith that we need. And Lord, I pray you'll help us to just do a good job of getting this gospel out to as many people as possible so we can see many people saved. In your name we pray. Amen.